We've been praying for Joe all week, and uh, not because we knew he was sick. <laughs> so, so glad that you were here and were able to sing. That was beautiful, and the words just go perfect. That's a perfect song um, for this sermon. And uh, I'm thankful for the opportunity that I have of, of being here and being able to share the sermon time with you this morning. It gives me a chance to, um, before I start, thank everyone um, for all the hard work that you're putting in, you know, each and every week. We, we began our, our latest journey um, on December 15th, if you recall, that's the first Sabbath that um, Pastor Rufo uh, was gone. And all of you have, have stepped up in a, in a very major way, it's amazing. And um, the Sabbath schools, the potlucks, the financial functions of our church, the deacons, deaconesses, pathfinders, adventures, and children's ministries, greeters, music teams, Sam who worked so hard over the winter to keep our you know, parking lot clean. And um, I don't know if you, if any, if I think maybe you know this or maybe you don't, but he never charges us anything. <laughs> he just does it. Um, it's amazing. He's such a hard worker. Our, um, our media and AV teams, you guys have been so incredible. We've, we've received, we've had many visitors, um, you know, because of, of where we're at right now for preaching and music. And we've received so many compliments from our visitors. It's just amazing. Like they just keep streaming in. Everyone is so excited to come here. And I was, um, I don't want to embarrass uh, anybody, but I've, I've, I've seen uh, Alex Leonor and um, the other Alex. I've, I've watched them when they're, when they're miking up people in the back. <laughs> they're so serious. <laughs> and they take it so serious, and they do such a, a great job. They're so professional. Um, thank you. Thank you. It's, it's really um, making this place such a great place of worship. And I, I believe um, there's never been a better time to worship here at Downers Grove. Um, I really believe that with all my heart. So on behalf of the elders and the church board, we thank you for everything that you're doing. Let's have a quick word of prayer and then we'll get going on our topic. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you for this church, for Christian friends, for prayer, for a word from you. Lord, this morning we, we pray that you would speak to us, to each one of us, and um, I would ask that you not let me get in the way, but that you would speak to each one of our hearts and give us the, the message that you need to, for each one of us to hear this morning. We pray and ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. The book of Numbers situated here. This, this podium is perfect because it's kind of big, but that's also the problem. <laughs> so I don't know what to do. Um, the book of Numbers is really an interesting um, book of scripture because it contains many stories that are just loaded with spiritual significance for all of us. The book picks up the story of the children of Israel from about 13 or 14 months after they left Egypt, and then it chronicles their wanderings through the desert. 
uh, for about the next 38 years until they're almost ready to cross over into Canaan. Now, the first time I, I read this book many years ago, I kind of struggled, you know, was I found it kind of challenging because I like to read stories, and although there are many stories in this book for sure, um, they don't actually start in the beginning. <laughs> you have to get through about 10 chapters worth of information um, before you reach these stories, and what I mean by that is Moses, um, in this book, he, 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 be, he opens the book by numbering the people, and so, which I suppose uh, makes the name of the book perfect, right? Numbers. He, he starts off by numbering the people, and at God's command, Moses and his brother Aaron take a very detailed um, census of the entire congregation, um, tribe by tribe, family by family. Um, he counts all the men of war who are 20 years and older in each tribe. Um, he explains where each tribe is situated, um, in relation to the sanctuary so that as you're reading, you, you get to learn that the tribe of Judah is located to the east of the sanctuary and they numbered 74,600. Um, the tribe of Reuben was encamped to the south and they numbered 46,500. The tribe of Dan was located on the north side of the sanctuary and they numbered 62,700. The tribe of Ephraim was located on the west of the sanctuary and they numbered 40,500, and just like that, he provides numbers and information on each tribe, including um, how the tribes were grouped together as they marched forward through the desert. So, for example, um, when the entire congregation was on the move, the tribes of Reuben and Simeon and Gad were um, instructed to march together. And so that's kind of how, um, and, and, he, and he explains then, like, which one of the three tribes were all banded together and instructed to march together and where the Levites were sprinkled in. And anyway, um, I think you, you get the picture, right? There's a lot of data <laughs> at the beginning of this book. And so at least for me, after so many verses of this information um, and after all the additional regulations that, that he writes in there for the priests and the people, I tend to get a little worn out, but I, I love the Bible and I don't like to cheat. So when I say I'm gonna read the book of Numbers, I wanna read the whole thing. I don't like to skip anything. <laughs> and so recently, as I made my personal journey around the scriptures, um, it came time again to revisit the book of Numbers. And so I already knew I had to get through these first 10 chapters of information. So I just put my head down and barreled <laughs> right through um, the 10 chapters. And um, I got, you know, I reached the stories. I enjoyed the stories all over again. And then, but this time when, when, when I was nearing the end of the book, uh, where Moses takes yet another census of the people before he closes the book, I noticed some verses that I hadn't noticed before. And um, I don't know if that happens to you. You know, you may read something several times, especially in the Bible, and you go back over it, and then something else jumps out at you that you... You read it, but somehow you hadn't noticed or hadn't seen that before, and that's what happened to me. And so as I stopped to take a closer look um, to see if I was understanding correctly, what I read really impacted me. And so uh, because I, I finally realized after so many times reading this book and just barreling through the first part of it and even the end of it, um, you know, I finally realized the significance of all these numbers 
that Moses is, is providing and how that first census and the story sandwiched in the middle and the, the final census, how they all come together into a very deep spiritual lesson for God's people. And so I wanted to share um, those couple of verses with you this morning. In fact, um, we've already seen them because they were the verses that John Luke read this morning, but I will invite you to read them with me again in the book of Numbers, chapter 26, if you'd like to go there. Numbers, chapter 26. And the chapter 26 of Numbers is a, is a very long uh, chapter. It has 65 verses, and we're going to scroll all the way down to verse 63, um, where John Luke was reading. We're, we'll read verse 63 and 64. And just keep in mind, as we read these verses, that these, these words were written immediately after Moses completed the, um, the second census. The first one was taken 38 years earlier in chapter 1 when you open the book. And so verse 63 reads, and I'm reading out of the King James Version, it says, These are they that were numbered by Moses and Eleazar the priest, who numbered the children of Israel in the plains of Moab by Jordan near Jericho. But among these there was not a man of them whom Moses and Aaron the priests numbered when they numbered the children of Israel in the wilderness of Sinai. Now, I need to paint a picture for you so you understand what Moses is saying here, right? So let's say that um, someone shows you a portrait of my family 38 years ago. And um, there I am with my wife and kids, and now someone is showing you a portrait of my family again 38 years later, an updated portrait. And so you may be expecting when you pick up this picture to see me a little bit older because I'm 38 years older. Maybe you think I'm going to have white hair now or maybe I'll be balding or, um, <laughs> you know, you, you expect my kids to be all grown up in the picture. Maybe their spouses would be in the picture. Um, you may be expecting to see some grandchildren. I mean, I think all of us have seen pictures like that, right, of families as they progress over time and they kind of change and grow. And so, um, but when you look at this picture, it says Rodriguez family across the top, but actually I'm not even in the picture. <laughs> and so you're looking at it and you're thinking, wait, this is the Rodriguez family, right? But where's Elvis? And where's Anna? And where are the kids? You see, that this, that's what's happening here. Moses opens the book by, in chapter 1 by showing you a portrait or a picture of the children of Israel. He numbers everyone, shows you who was there. And then now, um, 38 years later, he's showing you an updated picture. And just in case his readers are wondering, like, what happened? Like, where, where is everybody? How come everyone from the first picture is missing from the updated picture? He tells us why in verse 65. He says, For the Lord had said of them, They shall surely die in the wilderness. And there was not left a man of them, save Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. Now, if you let that sink in, an, an entire congregation of 603,550 men vanished from the picture, gone. And it's, it's a stunning reality 
when you consider the mood that existed at the end of the first census, which we find uh, at the end of chapter two, and you don't have to go there, but I'll just read you a verse of Numbers chapter two and verse 34, where Moses writes this at the end of the, of the first census. He says, and the children of Israel did according to all that the Lord commanded Moses. So they pitched by their standards, and so they set forward everyone after their families according to the house of their fathers. They were in a good mood. They were doing everything um, God commanded, and now at the end of the second census, they're all out. I mean, first they're all in, now they're all out. What happened? I'd like to show you the answer um, that David, King David gives uh, on what happened. He, uh, Psalm 78, if you want to go there, and I'm going to switch versions here to the clear word. And thank you, Tom, for lending me this one. <laughs> um, the clear word, uh, Psalm 78, and I'm going to start reading at verse 18. And so um, speaking specifically about the period of time that's covered by the book of Numbers, David in Psalm 78 says, they deliberately put God to the test by demanding that he provide them with the food they craved. They challenged God and said, can you really provide us with meat in the desert? We doubt it. Your promises are nothing but straws in the wind. Yes, you gave us water to drink. You brought streams of water out of the desert stands. But how will you provide the meat? That's something you can't do. When the Lord heard this, he was displeased. And when he came in the midst of Jacob, the fire of his presence destroyed many of them. They were the ones who did not believe in our God. And so they had, they had no faith that he could take care of them. Unbelief. Unbelief and a lack of true commitment, a lack of a true commitment to God is what caused this entire congregation to fall right out of the picture. And as I was considering all of this, I, I, I couldn't help at, but asking myself, hey, what's, what's my own commitment to God? What is my own commitment to Jesus Christ? What is my own commitment to seeking the Holy Spirit each day in my life? And am I still in the picture? That's today's sermon title, Are You Still in the Picture? And I don't ask that question to scare anybody because, you know, fear doesn't save us. Jesus saved us. Fear does nothing for us. In fact, um, fear doesn't come from the Lord. It's not a tool that he uses. In 2 Timothy 1.7, he says... You know, I have not given you a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And a sound mind is, is able, allows us to, to step back and ask the question in a sincere manner and without fear. And I've read and reread many portions of that 38-year journey. And the more I read, the more I realize that in sharing these stories that are sandwiched between that first census and the second census, Picture one and picture two, if you will. Moses was showing us 
stories of normal church folks, just like you and me, who let down their guard and were deceived by Satan into living a life of unbelief without even realizing that their hearts were going there. Now, I mentioned earlier that you need to get through about 10 chapters of information before you get to the story. So if you were to go um, to chapter 11 of Numbers, where the stories begin, there you would find the, the children of Israel packing their bags to move to the next place that God has in mind for them. At this point, they had been at Mount Sinai for about a year, and um, they had received the Ten Commandments. They had accepted the covenant with God. They knew they were heading toward the land, land of milk and honey. And so with much anticipation, chapter 11 finds them preparing to follow the crowd, which the Bible tells us was Jesus Christ. And as the cloud lifted and signaled that it was time to move, they followed with great excitement, except that to their dismay, the cloud moved in the wrong direction. <laughs> and by wrong direction, I mean it didn't move toward Canaan. Now, many Christians think that unbelief refers to a person that does not believe in God. But actually, here in chapter 11 of Numbers, Moses shows us that unbelief is not when we don't believe in God. Unbelief is when we don't trust God. See, that's, that's the deception. We can believe in God all we want, but if we don't trust him, we're living a life of unbelief. We don't trust his leading. We don't trust in his promises. We don't trust he's going in the right direction. Recently, um, we were discussing um, unbelief downstairs in, in the junior class, and um, I don't know if Ethan Cortez is in here this morning, but... Uh, he raised his hand, and he, he was like, you know, he wanted to give his definition of unbelief. <laughs> and he said, unbelief is when something is there, but you don't believe it's there. <laughs> and that definition just hits the nail right on the head. It's better than everything, anything you can find online, you know, online dictionaries, because that is exactly what's going on here in chapter 11 of Numbers. What is plainly there is the leading of Jesus Christ in the cloud. But like Ethan said, they chose to believe that his leading wasn't really there. See, when you look at a map of, 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 their, of the wilderness where they were, if they, when they were at Mount Sinai, when you look at a map, Canaan was almost a straight shot north of where they were. And so when the cloud got up and started moving, it kind of went north, but then it turned east. <laughs> it went a different way. And, um, and the way that Christ turned at that time was actually... He moved them into a black and desolate mountain masses. And um, God, through the prophet Jeremiah, would later describe that terrain as a land of deserts and pits and droughts. I was just imagining their wagons and everything, you know, tires falling off. I mean, it's like they were having a hard time. And the people became discouraged. And, with a and within a matter of days, they began to murmur against God instead of trusting in Christ who they knew was in that cloud. After all the miracles in Egypt, after going across the Red Sea on dry land, after singing the song of Moses, they chose to stop trusting God. Again, unbelief is not when you don't believe in God. Unbelief is when you don't trust God. 
when we take up our journey with Jesus Christ as he moves us through this life of deserts and pits and droughts, God wants us to trust him. Have you ever packed your bags to head to your Canaan, <laughs> head into your new job, your new marriage, your new business, maybe a new relationship with a girlfriend or boyfriend, but instead of speeding north toward your next victory, the cloud moves you in the wrong direction. You get sick, your finances fall apart, your business dreams are destroyed by circumstances beyond your control, you struggle to gain traction in your new work, your new spouse is not what you thought, your life explodes into loneliness and hardship. If that's any of us here in this room this morning, Moses is shouting from the pages of numbers through all these stories. And he's saying, hey you, you who live in the year 2019, whatever you do, whatever your responses are to these situations, don't do what they did. Don't go there. They complained, they murmured, they rejected God's manna, which is another way of saying they mocked his provisions for their life as he was trying to help them get through their tough times. They demanded additional blessings selfishly. They rejected God's leaders. And you know, just that piece alone could be a sermon all by itself. When I was, when I was really studying this and reading what Ellen White has to say in the book Patriarchs and Prophets on the in the chapter on the rebellion of Korah, which is one of the things that happened during this 38 year period. Um, in speaking on the sin of rejecting and disrespecting our church leaders, Ellen White says that it is hardly possible for men to offer a greater insult to God than to despise and reject the instrumentalities he would use for our salvation. When life gets tough and things are not going the way we expect, Moses teaches us in the book of Numbers that the best thing we can do is trust in Jesus Christ. Trust in his leading. Trust in his provisions for our journey. Trust in his promises. Trust in his forgiveness. Which leads me to the next thing I want to show you in the book of Numbers, because um, Moses starts the book with 10 chapters of information, then he provides 11 chapters of an amazing description of what unbelief looks like, and um, then he, you get to chapter 22, 23, and 24, and here we find the story of Balaam, and I think, um, as weird as this will sound, this is probably the most exciting and amazing story in this entire book. And I think most of us know the story of Balaam, but just in case you, you don't know who he is, um, we're not going to review the story, but he was the greedy prophet who was invited by the heathen king of Moab to curse the people of Israel. And as you know, he accepts the invitation. He's hoping he can make a prophet somehow. 
And this happened three times, right? King Balak uh, took him to three different locations to see if he could curse the people from there. And um, each and every time, God put a blessing in his mouth instead. And I want to show you the blessing that God put in his mouth the second time. Numbers 23. Numbers chapter 23. It's just incredible. Numbers 23, and I'm going to start reading at verse 19. Balaam, now inspired by the Holy Spirit, not that he wanted it. He says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. He hath said, and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? Behold, I have received commandment to bless, and he hath blessed, and I cannot reverse it. He hath not beheld iniquity in Jacob, neither hath he seen perverseness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. Now, when I read this, I was thinking, <laughs> you, you have not beheld iniquity in, in, in Israel or perverseness? I mean, these guys have been sinning nonstop. For the past 11 chapters, just nonstop, when you read the stories, it's, it's completely bizarre. Their attitudes toward God and their unbelief is just unreal. But here God says, like, well, I, I, I behold no iniquity or perverseness in them. But then he, he tells us why right there in, in verse 21. He says, because the Lord his God is with him and the shout of a king is among them and as you know Israel had no king at that time we know from scripture that the king that's being referred to here is Jesus Christ and we could it's a, the same king who's with us this morning and we can praise God that when Jesus Christ is in our midst God does not see perverseness or iniquity in us and notice he's not saying that there is no sin in us He's saying he doesn't see it. He's not charging those sins to our account. That's the gospel. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the entire theme of the Bible. And here in the book of Numbers, while these guys are slipping and sliding all over the place, God was busy upholding the greatest promise ever made. And that is that if you choose Christ, and if I choose Christ, he will not, he will not hold us accountable for our sins. He will forgive us. He will cover our sins. And um, I want to read you what, uh, what Paul says in the Hebrews chapter 3. Now go back to the clear word here. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 18. In speaking of this very period of time, um, Paul says, To whom was God speaking when he took an oath, saying, I will not let them enter the land I promised them because I don't give my rest to those who disobey. He was speaking to his own people. They were not permitted to enter the land of Canaan because of their unbelief. And continuing into chapter 4 and verse 1, he says, Therefore, 
let's be careful that we don't make the same mistake and end up not receiving this rest of soul and entrance into the heavenly Canaan. Remember that the gospel was preached to them year after year in the drama of the sanctuary just as clearly as it's being preached to us today. You know, many people, um, I don't know why, but you know, people think that, that the folks in the Old Testament didn't have Jesus Christ. They absolutely did. That's what the sanctuary was all about. And, um, and so a hasty read of the book of Numbers may lead you to believe that the final message of this book is that, well, if you mess up, God will pound you and throw you right out of the picture. But what the story of Numbers is really showing us is that for 38 years, God offered the gospel to these guys. And they said no. <laughs> they said no. They weren't pushed out of the picture. They walked out of the picture. It was a choice. And so when the sermon title asks, are you still in the picture? The answer does not come from God. The answer comes from you and the answer comes from me. Am I still in the picture? Or have I chosen to walk out of the picture? This morning, my sincere desire is that all of us as a congregation of God here at Downers Grove would choose to stay in the picture. The final chapter of our own lives are not yet written. We're still alive. The fact that we can talk about this means we, our, our final chapter is not yet written. And if for some reason this morning you find yourself on those slippery slopes of unbelief, I want to encourage you to give Jesus a chance. He can be trusted. Amen. Amen.